you will have to forgive me a little bit of drinking water and sniffling up here with my cold. And I'm only going to mention it once, so if you see me stop and do it, I'm not going to apologize. I'll just apologize now for it. But I, I did want to show you some uh, pictures of our, our trip because everybody always asks. Um, so I do like to, uh, to show some of them when I get back. And, and it, was a, it was a fun, uh, cold week. It stayed between 37 and 45 degrees most of the time while we were there. So I'm fighting the cold out there fishing in the cold, but it's nice when you put your hand in the lake. It's only 58 degrees, and you're like, yes, my hand can warm up. So we have a lot of fun. We got out there, and I caught my first fish. My brother's all mad because I caught the first fish, and he didn't, you know. A little brotherly competition. He's like, man, I can't believe it. Alan, you're always, no, 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 no. And then he catches the second fish, so he's all excited. And, and our friend Dave's in the boat going, well, thanks, guys. And, and then Dave caught the third fish. It was a 44-inch northern pike. You can't really tell the dimensions because the fish was flopping around, so we didn't get a great picture of it. But he's six foot four, so that kind of, or six foot five. So that kind of gives you an idea that fish was huge, and it was uh, the biggest fish of the trip. So it's the first time he's ever gone. So he's really excited about the trip on that. And we, we did catch a lot of fish. Here's, here's a few that were in the boat that, that we caught. And, and then have, how many of you have seen um, Swamp People? Okay, people laugh, but there's people who raise their hands, right? Well, we got to shoot over this sucker. There's a beaver dam, and for three days we had, to, we had to go, and as we go over the beaver dam to get to another lake that had better fish, we have to get out of the boat because we're kind of big, and um, we pick up the boat and put it over the beaver dam, and then we keep going. Well, the last day that we went over the beaver dam, I hit it hard and, on the engine, and, and you're always, you don't want to tear up their engines. Uh, we already tear them up. But we don't want to tear them up too bad. So you lift the engine when you get over there because you don't want it to hit a branch. So I go to lift up the engine and I'm on the other side of the beaver dam. I'm like, well, how'd that happen? So we just jumped the sucker. It was a lot of fun. Um, And then uh, the eagles, of course, were really close to us. Uh, At one point we ducked. um, So that was fun, them coming down. Uh, And uh, there's an eagle right there on shore. I mean, just amazing. uh, birds are scavengers, which is kind of funny. Uh, it's not a clean bird, but uh, very majestic. And then we cleaned a lot of fish while we were there. Um, I tell you, I had the best fishing day ever. I, I, by the way, I took two pages of notes out of, my no, uh, out of my sermon so I could talk a little bit. So you're sitting there going, oh boy, he's going to go way over. Uh, no. Um, my boat kept catching fish because we didn't make noise in the boat. We don't bang. If you go fishing, don't make a lot of noise. Noise travels underwater. And uh, they're all banging around and stuff. And we're literally um, catching fish. At one point, I'm not joking, an hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes, I caught 47 fish. Okay? We had fish flopping in the bottom of the boat because we didn't have time to put them on the string. We just left them there. And my, I got five of them flopping at the boat in my, at my feet, and I'm still fishing. And we got three of us. That means we caught about 125 fish during that period of time. And my brother goes, I need a net. I got a big one. And I went to grab the net, and there's two more in the net. And I'm like, um, you're going to have to pull it out yourself, you know. Um, and then they, they kind of stopped. So, I mean, we had a blast. Our, our boat kept catching fish. If, if we, us three hadn't ca- caught fish, they wouldn't have brought home 30 fish uh, that they needed. So at one point, uh, like we'd bring in 18 one boat, and they had three other boats, would bring in like six, you know, so I, the Lord was blessing uh, our boat, I guess, Um, so they decided to come set with us, they literally anchored to us 
while we were fishing. Um, but we told them to because they were like running their engines. We're like, shut off your engine. You know, anyway. So anyway, um, let's see. And you can't really tell from this picture. We've got double the fish on that stringer. So there's, there's 16 of them there, not just eight. Um, so it was about 45 pounds I, I'm lifting there. And, and, and in fact, every time my brother would be like, well, why aren't you putting that fish on the, on the stringer in the boat? And I'm like, I'm waiting for my uncle to look over here. As soon as he looked over, I go, ugh, and slap him in the boat. And he'd be just shaking his head. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, and then lastly, I, I, wanted, uh, I wanted to show you how close and how cool. Now, this, this is about a, a six-second video expanded out to about 20 seconds. So it's slow motion, okay, uh, from an iPhone. But now, is that cool or what? I mean, to get out into nature and see that. And then we, and I forgot to include this picture there. We saw a bear across the lake. Uh, Lisa can let it go again, but we saw a bear uh, across the lake. So it's the first time for us to see a bear. So if you ever want to go on one of these trips, uh, you are welcome to, to join us. Just let me know early so I can get your name on the list. So, so anyway, enough about uh, that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun to get out in God's nature. Uh, uh, he is a, a wonderful uh, creator. And it's uh, fun to get out there and see his creation and enjoy it. So why don't we get into the word? We're in Matthew 21 uh, right now. And I'm going to jump straight into it. It says, Matthew 21, 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed this among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, well, we are afraid of the people, for they uh, all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered him, or they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went out. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did, the, did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, I will tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. You might remember that Jesus is in his final week of his earthly ministry. He's once again at the temple and he, he's teaching, uh, which really kind of shows his, his courage, his tenacity, his, uh, you know, his, his idea of I, I'm doing, his determination, I'm doing what the Father wants me to do and I'm going to continue to do that. His fearlessness in the face of, of men who literally uh, not just don't, don't like him, but men who hate him, who will end up killing him at the end of the week. That's a lot of hatred. 
You'll also remember the temple itself is the headquarters of, of the religious establishment. You know, those that are in charge of the religion, those that, um, you know, and, and they're showing up to confront Jesus. Uh, these guys who are, who are confronting Jesus are very powerful in Israel. They are very, I mean, they're, they're very wealthy men. men they, they control the 35 acres of the temple ground, which brings in a lot of money. So they are, these are powerful men. Don't think, I mean, think of, think of our government officials. You know, we think of government as powerful. Government officials coming to you and confronting you, the IRS. Somebody else showing up at your door. What do you do? I mean, you're like, <gasps> you get all nervous, right? I mean, that's the same exact, time, uh, same exact thing. So the rabbis that teach there are at Solomon's porches on the side of the temple area, and they're under the authority of these leaders. So they get a little cut of the money that comes in. And, uh, you know, the marketplace where Jew, uh, Jewish pilgrims would come and buy the sacrifices, the, the lambs and the birds and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and you might remember this is Passover week, so a lot of business is going on here. Just yesterday is in, in Monday in this, this Passion Week. He came through here and saw what was going on, and he got so mad he sat down in a corner and started building a whip out of rope or out of leather. And he came through and he started overturning the table, started throwing tables around, started whipping at people. I mean, you could imagine making the scene, yelling at the top of his lungs, you have taken my father's house and you've made it into a, to a house of, or a den of thieves. You've taken this house of prayer. And of course, this is not the Sunday school Jesus that we like to, to teach our little ones. And I think it's good to teach Sunday school Jesus to our little ones. Because they need to understand the love of God before they understand that God also wants us to repent. That God also wants us to follow his ways. To, to get that love and understanding of who God is. A righteous anger. So he's back at the temple grounds. You can imagine the scribes and the Pharisees and the leadership slowly kind of closing in on him from several directions. He's not going to get away. We're going we're to confront him. They can't believe that he has the nerve to come back, especially this week, and do this. Who does he think he is? There would have been late night meetings going on about this. This Jesus of Nazareth. What are we going to do with him? What are we going to do? And Jesus just comes back and starts teaching so they show up and they interrupt him. And what they're doing is showing him no, no um, uh, respect whatsoever. So, you know, you know how it is when you're you know, in, totally interrupted. On the trip, one of the guys asked me a question, and, and the, the young guy, Will, that we've been praying for, and, and pray for me as I deal with him too, because he totally comes up and interrupts me as I'm answering the question of the other person. And, and I mean, you could tell I was in conversation. And I said, well, well hold on a second. And he kind of got perturbed, and I go, Look, I'm going to treat you like my three-year-old. You need to be quiet right now because I'm having an adult conversation. I mean, this is over several things. So I'm like, I'm just trying to keep my mouth shut around him because I want him to see the love of God and not the, you know, the, the, the adult saying, hey, you need to be quiet for a second. So they're showing him no respect whatsoever. Who gave you this authority? Who gave you permission to be here today? I would expect that Jesus would expect this from them. I mean, this is Tuesday, and by Friday, they're going to be trying him, and they're going to be literally ripping out his beard. I mean, you ever had a little kid come pull your hair? Yeah, ripping out his beard, slapping him in the face. It's a huge insult in the Middle East to do those type of things. He knows all this. It's only Tuesday. 
but he still has things to say and things to do. Who gave you this authority? This is a very interesting question because Jesus has done nothing to show them or he's done nothing but to show them whose authority he's doing these things by. I mean, if they paid attention to the last three and a half years of his public ministries, they would understand whose authority. As they've seen him heal, as they've seen him take care of the poor, as they've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. As they watched him like a hawk, they would understand that. He spoke with authority. He answered their questions with authority. The people noticed this about Jesus, and they loved him because he kind of bucked back to, uh, you know, at that religious establishment. He kind of said, oh, well, wait a second, guys. You're not quite understanding God's heart. Let me tell you God's heart. And he kind of, kind of went back at him a little bit. So the people really loved him. I mean, he, he called them the storms on the, in the ocean. He took little boys' lunches and, and fed 5,000 people. He healed the sick. He cast out the demon. He raised the dead. That's all he's been doing for three and a half years. Really, they have a lot of nerve. I mean, even Nicodemus... Their number two guy in all of Israel came to him during his first year of ministry and said, Rabbi, we know that you're sent from God. How else would you be doing these things? We just don't understand your teachings. And that's where we get the, the, you know, the, the famous verse we all know, John 3.16, right? This is where he tells Nicodemus that. And regardless of what Nicodemus reported back to him, the, the, the leadership, they still did not believe I mean, Jesus operated with divine authority. Divine authority is always threatening to a political or a corrupt corrupt religious person. It's always that way. Who gives you the right? Jesus says, you know what? I will answer your question if you answer this one first. I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He says, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven are men. In other words, heaven or these guys? God or, or, or just the people? Who, where did it come from? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? Because you remember at the baptism, what happened? The Spirit, like a dove, came down upon, God, uh, upon uh, Jesus, and, and God said from the heavens, this is my son who I'm well pleased. So, I mean, they're kind of in a pickle a little bit. They're in a bind, box in a corner. The crowd sees John as a prophet. So then they say, but if we say for men, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold John was a prophet. So Jesus, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. They know exactly. They know it. You know, it's one of those little, you know, you ask your child a question, and you know they know the answer, and they're like, I don't know. You know, my house, we called it the ghost. We have four boys. When something happened and no one would admit it to, my mom would be like, I guess the ghost did it. And we're like, I don't know. wasn't me. It was Kelly. He always did it. Always blamed Kelly. It was great. Um, but you understand, we don't know. They couldn't admit it. Because if they said that he was a prophet, then they would have to admit exactly what John said about Jesus. That Jesus was from God. They knew exactly what John said. Look at John 1. 26. It says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one uh, you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of of, uh, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes uh, after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who, who will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify this is the Son of God. So they know exactly what John, uh, who John said that Jesus was. So they're kind of in a box here. Before Jesus even began his public ministry, they knew. So three and a half years later, was he right about Christ, or was he, he not a prophet? Because back then, if, if a prophet ever was, if you ever said this man did something, one thing he said was not true, therefore he was not a prophet. Think about that. One lie, one little kind of, well, I, I skewed it a little bit. One little, well, I almost got it right. One thing, you were not considered a prophet. Well, they held John up to be a prophet. So they were just, they were stumped. They would love to say, John was wrong about you. He is dead. Don't have to worry about him anymore. John was wrong. The problem is they couldn't publicly say that because, you know, John the Baptist was idolized in a sense. They'd already, you know, they had already made him a saint before they were naming saints in a sense. Jesus, was he a prophet or not? If so, then he couldn't be wrong. They conferred with one another, talking in low terms as we do when we don't want other people to hear, right? Come back and say, we don't know. In the Greek, it's um, we don't know, which means either we never knew or we cannot tell or we know, but we're just not saying. Oh, we forgot. They plead the fifth. It's a simple question. You have to remember, these guys were the judges of Israel. They judged everything. It was their job to judge. This would be like going to the Supreme Court judge and asking him a legal question and him going, I don't know. No, it's his job to judge. It was their job to judge, yet they refused to. And they hate this. They're not used to being confronted, especially by this untrained hillbilly from Galilee. I mean, come on. They can't stand it. He takes their trap, turns it around, and traps them. By the end of the week, they're going to get him back. You, you better believe it. See, this is not the meek and mild Jesus. It's not the Sunday school Jesus. It is true that he goes to his execution without a word. Be, you know, be led like a lamb to the water and to the slaughter. There, there are times when we should act like that. Keep our mouths quiet. 
Keep our mouths shut. There are times when you do that. But there are times when the, the Spirit of God you know, tells you to zip it, but there are other times when the Spirit says, you need to let go, you need to confront right now. This is wrong. This is, you need to confront hypocrisy. You need to compr- uh, confront evil. You see, in our culture, we're, we're called to confront corruption and evil. evil. And I, th- I dare say that we've been beat down as Christians so much, we don't do it. We don't do it. I was talking to, as I was going to the airport in the morning, I was talking to a, a guy from uh, Liberia. He'd been over in America for nine years, and we struck up a conversation coming from the hotel to the airport. And we were talking about America and how long he'd been here and, and some of my travels over in Africa, and he was really interested in that. And I asked him about his family, and we're talking back and forth. And we start talking about politics a little bit and America, and he just sees it going to, uh, for, you know, the term the hell in a handbasket, the morals as Christians, and he, and he even said that. He goes, the Christians don't stand up for what they believe here in America. We should be standing up for what we believe. Don't let the world beat you down. Don't let it happen. So Jesus comes into the middle of this temple and confronts them right there, and they fight back. So he doesn't answer the question directly. Instead, he offers three parables that give the answer. These three are about uh, uh, these guys, and, and the key question in all the parables is this. Who are the true people of God? Who are the true people of God? Who is in? Who is out? Who is accepted? Who will be judged by God? And how does our behavior affect this? Not what we say, but what we do. And that is a huge difference in this world. It's a huge difference. Verse 28, he says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. According to Middle Eastern culture, if Father asked you to do something, you did it. I grew up like this. My father asked me to do something. I did it. If I didn't do it, I got into trouble. It's the same thing with my son. I'm teaching him. When I ask you, no, 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 no. Brandon, come back here. I ask you to do something. You need to do it before you go play with your Legos. I'm trying to teach him. My father did the same thing. That's what he's saying here. This should be a part of every culture. So how does he answer? I will not. Oh, okay, so this is an American child here. No, I will not. I'm lazy. I'm busy. I don't want to. But later he regrets it, and he goes out, and he does it. Well, this is a good thing. He has a conscience. He does what the father wants. Verse 30, it says, Then the father went out to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. He's all talk and no walk. All talk, no action. He's got the pretty suit on. He's all polished. It's all, it looks great. You see the two people, you think, that's the good son. I will, sir. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Well, the first they answered. Of course, we all know that. They're so drawn into the, the story, the answer actually condemns them. The first son, well, good answer. So let me apply it. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. 
He uses this example because according to the Pharisees, this is the worst. For a guy to be a tax collector, for a guy to come under the the rule of the thumb of the Romans and do the Romans' bidding to collect Jewish taxes that go off to Rome, that was the worst job you could ever have. Think of the worst job that you would never want. That's what the Pharisees, I mean, they're like, you just said they're going to get into heaven before me? And for a woman to be a prostitute, for a woman to offer up her body to be abused and used like that. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus is telling them, it is the sinners who repented that are in the kingdom of heaven. And those who said, yes, sir, and had all the right pedigree, the right lingo, the right things, the right dress, you know, style, the right, all these, you know, all these right things, Jesus points at them and says, you are the second son. You are. You're all talk and no action. The repentant sinner is in, the religious legalist is out. You know, on the trip, we, um, as guys, we like to talk. Well, who caught this? Who caught that? Who's catching the most fish? Who caught the biggest fish? Well, let's put a little money in the pot. Biggest fish wins, you know? In fact, last year, they, so I wouldn't win it, they cut off the tail of my fish. So mine didn't measure up. I mean, a little friendly competition here. This year, I watched them. But, you know, some of the guys were sitting there going, no, 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 And my friend Dave just looked up, and he said about four or five times, and he said at the right time every time, he goes, you know what really talks? How many fish you put on the stringer? I'm going to let my stringer talk. Because we were bringing in the fish. We're the ones that bring in, I mean, they wouldn't have fish. I mean, next week they always get together with some friends and, and do the fish fry. They wouldn't be able to do that fish fry if it hadn't been for us in the boat. Because they weren't catching jack. My uncle was so mad. He goes, I've been up here for 30 some odd years and, and I've never not caught walleye in the first three days. I mean, he was just, he just couldn't understand it. Let my stringer talk. What we do carries more weight than what we say, doesn't it? In stupid fishing games, to our job, to our marriage, to how we treat our partners, how we treat our friends. We dropped off a refrigerator to, uh, to a guy on the way up. My brother was dropping it off to uh, a friend of a friend, and he met us uh, near Oklahoma City, and he brought a, a young lady with her. And, and the things that, I mean, I was so livid, the things that he said to this young lady that was a neighbor friend that came with him for an hour to drive to pick up this refrigerator, I wanted to just haul off and hit him, but he was a big military guy, and he would have just flattened me, so I didn't. But the things, the vile things that he said to this young woman standing there, his actions said, said it all about how, how his life is just miserable. I couldn't believe it. What we do carries more weight, the way he was treating her. You know, this is very ironic, this story, because the first son's response is, you know, is arrogant and rebellious. I will not, but later he repents. 
There's several words for the, for, for the word repent, and the word he uses here is, is the word metanoia. means to change your mind. Meta means later or afterward. As you ponder it, as you think about it, you think about your life and you finally realize, wow, what I'm doing there, that's just not right. To cha- and then to change your mind and to not do it anymore. Noia means to, to understand or think or consider. So recon- he reconsidered his response to his father. Jesus is saying here, better late than never. You know, it's possible to originally say no to God and then later change your mind. You know the way people know you've changed your mind? You go out and show people. Your actions show it. This is a great father. He doesn't strike us down because of our arrogance. He doesn't disinherit us. He waits, us to, for, uh, he waits for us to change our minds and repent. Then he blesses us as if that was the decision we made in the first place, that we re- never, never rejected him. How many of us would say, man, I was one who originally said no to God, but I came back to God? Yeah, there's several hands going up here. And everybody's like, I don't really want to raise my... Okay, here, you know. Some of us have said no to God. You know, we raise it stubbornly. You said, no, forget you. I don't want to serve you. I don't want to come to you. I don't want to recognize you in my life. Aren't you glad that we have a father who didn't outright reject you because you rejected him? That's, yeah, I mean, that's an amazing thing, right? Because if you were God or if I was God, I'm not quite sure. Now listen to the second son. Son, go and work in the vineyard. Yes, sir, I'll go right now, sir. I'm on my way going to the Lord. Hallelujah, I love to serve. But he never goes out and does a thing. Great intentions, great potential, but doesn't do a thing. How many of you would say, man, I talked like that for a long time, but never really walked the walk? I was a good churchy person. Now, this one's a little harder to admit to, right? We're like, have our hand way down here. When it comes to accomplish anything spiritual, anything in the spiritual realm where the rubber meets the road, you never really did anything. You have all these wonderful blossoms, but no fruit ever comes from it. There are a lot of Christians like this, man, and it's so sad. They blossom, they have beautiful flowers. They, you know, these flowers are almost intimidating because we're always comparing things. Wow, that's a beautiful, I mean, your, your blossoms on your tree are awesome. I mean, how do you pray like that? How do you do this? How, do you, how come you do this? How come you do that? But fruit never really comes. Jesus says we're supposed to bear fruit. Remember what he did to the fig tree a couple of Sundays ago? Which of these two kids did the will of the Father? Well, the first son. Jesus says, you're right. And guess what, guys? You are the second. You know, we joke around that that this is not the Sunday school Jesus. That he's become, you know, much more combative here toward the end. But reality is that he really does love these guys. He really does love them. 
This is why he's in the temple. This is why he's teaching. I guess hit mute on all of them but mine. I mean, of the week that he's going to kill them, or they're going to kill him, he's in there teaching. He wouldn't have come back to the temple every day if if he didn't love them. He, he would have been like, well, forget it. I'm staying at Mary or Martha's house. Everyone likes me over there on the other side of the hill, but you guys. But Jesus loves these Pharisees. He loves these hypocrites. He loves them so much that he's in the temple the week that they're going to kill him. Okay, we got it. Thank you, Joshua. He loves these guys. I mean, literally, the week that they're going to kill him, he is in the temple and he's teaching them. He is right there. He loves these hypocrites. He's seeking the lost among the religious. He knows that there are good people out there in the crowd that need to repent. See, God is always looking for repentance. See, our New Testament God and our Old Testament God is the same God. In Ezekiel 18, you'll see the heart of God uh, in there. And it says, But if the wicked may turn away, but if the wicked may turn away from the sins he has committed and keeps and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, he will surely live. He will not die. None of the offenses he has committed will be remembered against him. Because of the righteous things he has done, he will live. Do I take any offense in the death of the wicked? Repent. Turn away from your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all these offenses you have uh, committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. This is repentance. See, the Father's desire is for every, every person to accept His grace whether a person grew up around a religious establishment, around a religion at all, or if that person never even considered following Christ, or if that person considered it and rejected him. The Father sends Jesus and keeps checking, keeps coming, keeps being there for us. Like he did every day he's at the temple grounds to throw out the nets and to catch the fish and drag him into his kingdom. To throw out the nets. That's what he's doing. Every day he gets more and more combative. And we'll see this in Matthew 25 and 26 and 27 to the point where they cannot stand it even more. It can't stand it at all. They will either give their life over to God or they will reject him and they will kill him and celebrate the day that they do. 
Wow. So you need to ask yourself a question. Which son are you? Are you the first who said no and then came back to God? Are you the second son who who everybody thinks that you follow God, but you look at your life and you don't see any fruit? And now you have to decide once again, am I really, truly following God? I mean, we can say we're a good worker. We can say we're a good good, uh, um, son or a good daughter. We can say all those things, but in reality, our actions tell us what we truly are. You don't want to be the second son. Jesus tells a story in Luke about the, the prodigal son. I mean, we all know the story. One, one goes away and the other one stays. The father has this huge inheritance for the kids, and, and the first son comes and says, give it to me early. This is like saying, uh, this is like uh, you know, Andy's son coming to Andy and saying, I wish you were dead, Andy. Give me my money. I'm leaving. Pretty harsh, Right? So the father does this, and he lets them have the inheritance, and the kid goes and squanders it. He's literally living with the pigs. But the father, what's he doing? He's out on the road waiting for his son to return, and his son smells like a pig, but the father, when the son returns, he doesn't reject him. He takes off his robe and puts it on him, takes off his ring, which was a symbol of authority, and puts it on his hand. And he says, kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. My son is home. He's so excited about him being home. The older son, what does he do? Goes out to the porch. Well, this is a bunch of hooey, isn't it? Can you believe this? I mean, I'm the one that stayed home. I'm the one that's been working hard. I'm the one who didn't ask for my inheritance. I could have been doing great things with that inheritance. I'm the one who did what was right. He's not even happy about his brother being home. This is not fair. Well, look who's home. He went out and sinned and sinned and sinned, and while I've been faithful, Dad comes up and says, Come on, son, why are you not celebrating? And Jesus finishes the story without telling us whether the the second son came in or not. How sad is that? Is there anyone here today who's like the son that went away and squandered it all, who lived in sin, who needs to say, I am back and I need to repent? Anyone here? Yeah, several hands. I am back, and I need to repent. I need to turn from my ways and go back. Or, or are we the second son who now needs to come inside to the party, sitting on the edge watching, going, you know, I've been, I've been the one on the edge. I've been the one mad about all these other people coming and getting in line first. They're catching more fish than us. And they're all sitting over there mad saying, well, I can catch fish, but you're not proving it. To be able to say to God, I want to bear fruit in my life this week, today, this month, this year. I want fruit to blossom in my life. i got these wonderful flowers, but I want fruit to blossom in my life. Who would say, that's me today? Yeah. You're not alone, people. 
We got both sides. Both sides. And we have a chance to come to God and repent. Either say, I squandered it all, God, and I need your help to get my life straightened back out. Or, you know, I thought I was a good person. I thought I was a good kid. I thought I was doing what was right, but I look at my life and I don't really see fruit. And I want you to produce some fruit. Teach me how to do that. We have that chance today to pray to Him and say, I want to bear the good fruit in this world because I want to live heaven on earth before I actually get to heaven. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't you stand and we will pray for that while the worship team comes up here. Because we have a God who loves us. We have a God who waits for our return. We have a God who wants to give us fruit in our life because it will produce great things for Him and His kingdom, right? All we have to do is say, Lord, use me. Lord, do it in my life. Let's pray. Lord, there are many hands on both sides of that equation. And we thank You that You're such a loving God that You're here and willing to be with us. You're willing to to accept us no matter where we've been, whether we've been in the big pen of life or whether we've been hanging around Your house but not really doing much. Either way, Lord, you're willing to work and forgive us for sins that are in our life. Lord, I ask for the forgiveness of sins. That is the biggest thing that holds us back from you, Lord. I pray that you even wipe them from our minds after they've been wiped or before they're wiped from your minds. Just wipe them away so we don't allow that to prevent us from getting to you. Now, Lord, I I pray that you bless us and keep us. I pray that you... You bring us to a point in our lives where we recognize you each and every day. That we see you amongst our, our coworkers. We see you amongst uh, our home life and our, our school life. That when we recognize you, we will follow you in those areas. And great things will come from it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
You can stay standing up. You know, I apologize for not bringing back fish for everyone, but, the, you know, I would have had to stay in Canadian jail if I did because um, they only allow so many to come across. But we have lasagna today for our meal, so let's, uh, let's bless that real quick, and then you guys can go on over and dig in, okay? Lord, we just thank you for those uh, hands that prepared this meal. We thank you for the fellowship in advance that we're going to have as we, we sit around and enjoy each other's company. And we, we pray that you bless this time in this meal. In your name, amen.